Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host. My name is Jared St. Clair and it's good to be with you on a fresh edition of Vitality Radio. All right, so two weeks ago, I brought you the first episode of five, a five-part series called The Vital Five. Now, for years, 10 years, I've been talking about this stuff on Vitality Radio and for about the last seven or eight, I've had this thing called The Vital Five came up with the Vital Five for a reason, simply because, you know, I'm a guy who grew up in a health food store. And as such, and the proprietor of a health food store, and someone who actually even manufactures some of his own supplements for a living, people ask me the same question a lot. And one of the biggest questions I get is, what do you take? Or what do I absolutely need to take with all the supplement options out there? What should I do? And I always tell them, strip it back down to the vital five. And what are the vital five? They are the five supplements that I believe just about everybody in America, every adult in America could benefit from for reasons of toxicity in the environment that we live in, uh, poor diet choices that we make, chemicals in our diets, deficiencies just based on the fact that we don't eat a lot of the things that we probably should, and so on and so forth. Now, there is not an order to the Vital Five, but today's episode is going to focus on the one that I am probably the most fascinated with, that I think might be the most complex, and happens to also be my favorite. And I came to the conclusion, doing this one, uh, because I asked a few people, and specifically, I was uh, chatting with somebody on the phone um, at uh, Vitality last night, And I said, you know, I got these two ideas for a show. I can either do omega-3 or I can do digestive enzymes. What do you think? And she said, digestive enzymes, because it's that time of year. People are eating a bunch of junk. They probably need help with their digestion. And I thought that was great, especially coming from someone who, as far as I can tell, knows virtually nothing about uh, nutrition. Uh, Well, just based on what she told me her diet is like. Could be wrong, but regardless, great idea. Thanks for the input. That's what we're talking about today on Vitality Radio. Digestive enzymes. Now, I'm excited about it because I believe that the vast majority of people don't know much about digestive enzymes if they know anything at all. And that's a shame because they're so important. In fact, I tell people all the time, and this is true, whether I'm traveling, whether I'm in town, whether I'm eating healthy food or junky food, Regardless, I'm pretty much always taking enzymes because that's the one supplement that I always feel better, always feel better if I take it. Now, I'm going to do a rant. I know you were wondering if I was just going to jump right into digestive enzymes, but I would never leave you hanging without a rant. That's not fair, especially at Christmas time. So we're going to do a rant here in just a moment. And that rant is going to have to do a lot with digestive health. Once we get through the rant, we're going to jump straight into digestive enzymes, why they're important, how they can help you with your health, what they do, and uh, why I believe that people are deficient in them nowadays. 
So that'll be kind of part two of the show. Part one will be this, The Morning Rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Okay, so it's time to do the rant. And here we are. My heavens. You know, I have to talk about some things over and over again for a couple of reasons. One is sometimes there's new research, which in this case there is, that I think you need to know. Other times I recognize that this is a big problem. Vitality Radio is about alternatives to drugs and surgeries. And my rants oftentimes focus on drugs and or surgeries. And in this case, we're going to talk about drugs. We're going to talk about one of the most common classes of drugs prescribed out there. They're called PPIs. That's proton pump inhibitors. And I picked this topic for the rant because I am going to be talking about digestive health through this entire thing. And that's important because you're bound to get a stocking from Santa uh, here in a couple days. And Santa, you know, let's face it, he doesn't care about your health. He, he wants you to be joyful, he wants you to be happy, you know, and all that stuff, right? He's you know, jolly old Saint Nick and whatnot. But your health is so far down the list of his priorities. I mean, come on, he's building you skateboards, and uh, sometimes you're getting Xboxes and things that are just, you know, rot your brains right out. And stockings full of just pure junk food. And because of that, digestive enzymes are going to be really handy. And I'm going to explain that here in a minute. But let's talk about proton pump inhibitors because you may also get a little acid reflux with that Christmas dinner. And if you're one of the millions of Americans who uses PPIs, that is uh, things like Prilosec, Nexium, and the like, then you need to hear this because it's a pretty big deal. Uh, according to Brenda Goodman, and I'm actually talking, we're taking an article from two years ago, now well, one and a half years ago, I guess, back in the middle of 2016. But uh, this is from WebMD, and I have to use WebMD whenever I get an opportunity because they're usually on the other team, so to speak, right? They're promoting pharmaceuticals, they're promoting modern medicine and all of its wondrous greatness or whatever. Well, here they are talking about PPIs. Recent research has tied certain kinds of acid-blocking heartburn drugs called proton pump inhibitors or PPIs to a host of scary health problems, including higher risks of dementia, kidney disease, and heart attacks. Now, researchers working at a Stanford University and Houston Methodist Hospital in Texas think they may have found an important piece of the puzzle. The drugs just don't turn off acid pumps in the stomach. Instead, the researchers say PPIs also block the production of acid in every cell in our bodies. 
Mm, an effect that hampers the body's ability to rid itself of damaged proteins, the garbage that builds up as we age. I think we now have a smoking gun, says John Cook, who is an MD, PhD, and the chair of cardiovascular disease research at Houston Methodist Hospital. So what are the new risks tied to PPIs? Proton pump inhibitors dramatically diminish the amount of acid made by glands that line the inside of the stomach. They can provide big relief for people who have heartburn. Millions of Americans take them. According to IMS Health, proton pump inhibitors were the ninth most commonly prescribed drugs in 2015. Top sellers include Nexium, Prevacid, and Prilosec. They're available over the counter and by prescription. And the maker of Nexium and Prilosec, who is AstraZeneca, says it stands behind the safety of its products. <laughs> Have you talked to any drug executive, drug company executive that's like, well, listen, our stuff's not safe, but it makes us a lot of money. Of course, they stand behind it. Good grief. But there's a downside to getting rid of stomach acid, too. It's important for absorption of some vitamins and minerals. Big time for calcium and magnesium, by the way. One of the biggest factors we've been dealing with with overuse of PPIs over the years is hip fractures, uh, osteoporosis, because you can't build bones without the minerals that you can't digest. But now they're bringing out even new concerns, and it's not good. The drugs already carry warnings for several known risks, including C. diff. If you've ever had C. diff, you will not be uh, ever wanting it again. I promise you that. Diarrhea, pneumonia, low magnesium levels, which cause mag uh, muscle spasms, heart palpitations and convulsions, and fractures of the hip, wrist, and spine. Fracture risks are generally highest in people who've taken high doses of the drugs for more than one year. Now, those are the warnings that are already on the packages. In addition to those risks, though, two recent studies have raised troubling new questions about the long-term use of these drugs. Now, keep in mind that most of these drugs, FDA approval is four to eight weeks of use. That's it. Four to eight weeks of use. If you're on Prilosec or Omeprazole or Nexium or Prevacid or whatever, any of these PPIs, and you've been on them more than eight weeks, you've already been on them longer than what the FDA approved when they were originally put out. But if your doctor hasn't taken you off of them, well, he or she is not doing his or her job because these are not long-term use drugs. And I'm going to explain why they're not long-term use drugs as I keep going forward. The first study published in February found that PPI use was tied to a higher risk of chronic kidney disease. While the use of a different kind of acid-blocking drug, which are called H2 blockers, a little older version, uh, was not tied to that risk. The second study published in April found a higher risk of dementia. Take, for instance, the recent study that linked PPIs to chronic kidney disease. The study, which included more than 250,000 people, found that taking a PPI hiked a person's risk of kidney disease by up to 50%. The same goes for a recent study that tied PPIs to dementia. Um, people who took these meds had a 13% risk of getting dementia over the seven years of the study, while people who didn't take them had only an 8% risk. That's a 5% difference, right, from 13 to 8. So I don't know if you've ever, if, if, if you know anyone who's on dialysis. You don't want that in your life ever. And certainly we've all been touched at least a little bit by people with dementia. It's horrible. So yeah, reflux isn't fun. And I'll tell you, as I get to the end of this, I'll tell you my personal history with reflux, and it stinks. But it can be done without these meds, certainly without these meds for long-term use. 
Older studies have raised other health concerns. A 2015 study linked PPIs to a higher risk of heart attacks. Now, listen to this. This is interesting. Also, there's an ongoing debate about whether taking a PPI may increase a person's risk of cancer of the esophagus and stomach. Now, when I was dealing with acid reflux when I was 26 years old and I was being dumb, high stress, bad diet, wicked combination when it comes to acid reflux. Man, I got myself a real bad case. And what they told me when I went to the GI doc, and, and if, you, if you're a regular listener to this show, you know I'm not going to doctors very often, but I was in bad shape. I went to the GI doc. He said, you need to be on Nexium because you're going to give it a soph- you're going to get esophageal cancer. That was the big well, kind of scare tactic that was used. And it woke me up a little bit, but what was mainly waking me up was the high amount of acid in my uh, mouth when I woke up at 3 in the morning. And uh, it was driving me crazy. So I decided I better do something about it. Got my act together and I fixed it and I don't have acid reflux anymore. And I did it without drugs, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. But that was the big thing was cancer. You don't want esophageal cancer. And certainly I didn't. But people who have chronic acid reflux are at higher risk of a condition called Barrett's esophagus, which is thought to be a precursor to full-blown esophageal cancer. Some studies have suggested that because PPIs protect damaged tissue in the esophagus from repeated exposure to stomach acid, allowing it to heal, the drugs may lower a person's risk of cancer. Actually makes sense, and that's why the FDA said four to eight weeks of use. But at the same time, many doctors have noted that rates of esophageal cancers have continued to increase even as PPI medications have become a standard of treatment for Barrett's esophagus. In fact, in 2014, a study of 10,000 people diagnosed with Barrett's esophagus in Denmark found that people who took PPIs were actually more likely to get cancer. The risk was highest for high adherence users, those who took the pills most faithfully. The study was observational, and it couldn't show cause and effect. But here we have an interesting thing, because they say, well, you ought to take it because it'll prevent cancer. Now we're finding the people take it might actually be getting more cancer. How could that be? Well, when we go in to the body and say, you're supposed to work like this, but we're going to reroute things. We're going to make it work like this. A lot of times that just doesn't work for us long term. And uh, we see it over and over again. Researcher Cook um, doesn't think PPI should even be available over the counter. They should be pulled off the shelves, he said. They should be prescription only and they should be medically monitored because of the high level of risk. There are people now calling, consumer groups calling for black box warnings on these drugs. It's getting to the point where uh, there's real, real concern and heart disease might be the biggest thing that they're concerned about now because of what's happening with this blocking of acid in the cell itself. They actually believe that it may be uh, damaging the endothelial wall of the arteries themselves. So here we have this thing that's stopping acid reflux symptoms. It's not fixing the problem on the one hand. And then on the other hand, it may actually be stopping your heart uh, over time because as the endothelial wall gets damaged, we have the potential for clots, uh, strokes, heart attacks, and things like that that increases. And a more recent study done in 2017 said that we have a higher risk of death from all causes due to using PPIs for 10 years or more, a 25% higher risk of death 
from all causes from using these kind of drugs for 10 years or more. Now, again, the FDA never approved them for that long. If you've been on them that long, I know people have been on them 20 years. That's a problem. You need to get off. But I'm not your doctor. I can't tell you to get off the drugs. But you ought to be talking to your doctor and say, hey, how do I get off these drugs? Because one of the things that happens is you try and get off of them, you get the reflux rebound. In fact, they believe that maybe 65% of people, 65% of people that are given proton pump inhibitors don't actually have real GERD or acid reflux. They have heartburn. It's more of an occasional thing than it is a chronic thing. It's not to the level of disease. But by the time they get on reflux drugs for an extended period of time, they get reflux from the drug. That's proven. We know it happens. It's been clinically proven, and that's a problem too, right? So when do you need a PPI? My opinion, again, I'm not your doctor, so my opinion doesn't count when it comes to drugs, but there are reasons why it can make sense, and I actually believe these drugs are a little miraculous, really, for that four to eight week period for some people, allow things to heal up, Allow the inflammation in the esophagus to go down. But in the meantime, if you're going to do a short-term run of these drugs, you've got to get your digestive system working so that when you go off the drug, boom, you're in good shape. And that's what I did 20 years ago. I just did it without the drugs. And that is what the second part of today's show will be focused on is how digestive enzymes can help you with that. Now, there are a couple of more things here. At the end of these articles, especially on WebMD, uh, CBS, NBC, CNN, so on and so forth, there's always these fun little disclaimers. In fact, when I was typing disclaimers in my show notes, I, I missed the C, so it's disclaimers. And these disclaimers are so, so lame, it's actually quite fitting. And then there's these incredibly weak bits of advice that they give you. So here's what we had in this article. The disclaimer, please don't stop your PPI. Or be afraid to take it if it's been prescribed to you. Continue to use as directed by your doctor, which is fine, I guess, because you don't want to jump right off of it. It can make you very unhappy, really bad reflux at that point. Um, it's a bear to get off of, but you need to be having this conversation with your doctor if he's prescribed these drugs. And if you're just doing it over counter on your own, oh boy, please, 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 please rethink that because there are better ways and you don't want to set yourself up for a 25% higher risk of death from all causes just because you're trying to help your reflux. Now listen, again, when I was 26, my GI doc who did eight hundred EGDs, the uh, little scope down the throat, every year. I said I had, I was in probably about the top five percent of worst cases he had seen when I was 26 because I was dumb. I'll just tell you. I was raised better than that. My mom and dad did a great job of telling me what I should and shouldn't do and feeding me what I, mostly what I should eat. And then I got to be an adult and I started eating worse, and I had this high-stress thing. I was losing money hand over fist in this little franchise business I kind of got snookered into, and I got sick, real sick, with reflux. And it took me about three months to get back to some level of okay. But within a year of really focusing on it, I didn't have acid reflux anymore feel quite good when it comes to digestion for the most part, especially when it comes to reflux. I'll get a little bit of heartburn, I don't know, once a month maybe, but not very often. So it can be done 
I've done it plenty, of, or I did it myself, and I've helped plenty of people who have, uh, you know, needed nutritional advice on how to do it, and I'm happy to help you as well. So the second thing, as I said, they give you this, you know, don't get off your drug. But then they also uh, did this thing where they gave you some advice. Some patients may be able to manage heartburn drug-free by losing weight, cutting out tobacco, or changing some eating habits, the experts added. Reduce late-night eating two hours before you go to sleep, said May, who also recommends heartburn suffers, sufferers elevate the head of their beds just a little bit. Now, those are your drug-free options, according to them, which are fine. We probably shouldn't smoke for overall health reasons, including reflux and esophageal cancer. And we should all probably, well, we shouldn't all, but many of us, 70% of Americans as it stands, should all lose a little bit of weight. And all that's good. Elevate your bed if you want. Keep the acid from, you know, from, from uh, gravity pulling it up there. But how about talking about the real problem? Can we do that, please? Can we talk about the cause for once in modern medicine instead of the solution for the symptom? Please, come on, just this once. Nope, they're not going to do it. Not on WebMD. So I'll do it. But I got to cut to a break first. So that's the first part of the rant. There's a little bit of rant left on the other side. And when I come back, we're going to get into that. And then we're going to talk digestive enzymes for the balance of the show as we do part two of the Vital Five on Vitality Radio. Thank you again for listening to me. I appreciate your time. My name is Jared St. Clair, and I'll be back with more information for you on Vitality Radio. Of all the gimmicks that ever were, perhaps men's sexual performance ads and products are at the top of the list. So why would I approve a men's sexual performance ad to air during Vitality Radio? That's easy. This one is legit. Full disclosure, I formulated this one myself after years of frustration with the lack of great products available. Man Up is the formula. How it works is threefold. First, it delivers a significant dose of L-citrulline, which creates nitric oxide thereby increasing blood flow and oxygen to muscle tissue. This not only improves performance and endurance, but also has the side benefit of being very good for your heart and cardiovascular system. Second, Man Up helps with hormone balance and natural testosterone production. And third, Man Up even helps calm performance anxiety, something a lot of men struggle with after having issues with sexual performance. Man Up is safe and can be used daily or as needed. It is great for the gym or the bedroom. So if you're tired of the endless hype ads about male performance supplements and are ready for one that is natural, safe, effective, and guaranteed, it's time to try Man Up. For more information about Man Up, call Vitality Nutrition at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. We're about halfway into the show, and I've got just a little more ranting to do, and then we're going to hit the meat and potatoes, or rather the stuff that helps you digest the meat and potatoes of the show here in just a moment. But I left you hanging on the commercial break with this question. Why is it that these drug researchers, these medical doctors, these PhDs, really smart people, why don't they just every once in a while say, huh, maybe we ought to look at how the body really works instead of just shutting down everything. This ridiculous notion that medicine 
should always be suppressive. We just need to beat down the body into submission. We'll just, if the acid hurts, get rid of the acid, man. That's how we do it. Oh, wait, darn. Maybe we need acid. Maybe acid's good for us. Maybe it's a good thing to have a lot of acid in the stomach. Maybe it's good for the cells to excrete acid and eliminate toxicity. Maybe that's why God put it there in the first place. Maybe. What do I know? The point of the matter is we've got to think a little more when it comes to health instead of just resorting automatically to pharmaceuticals because the pharmaceutical companies are corporations and corporations job is to make money not make people healthier please remember that please because it's important okay so what's the real problem there's a few things stomach acids good stomach acid is good and in fact the vast majority of people with acid reflux don't have too little stomach acid now, I'm going to say that again because I want it to sink in for you if you haven't heard this before. Stomach acid is good. And most people with acid reflux have not too much stomach acid, but too little. Now, how is that possible? Because then we get an acid reflux drug, right? And it calms down the acid. And now I don't have reflux. So I must have had too much acid. But something very interesting that happens. So... We've got this little thing called the esophageal sphincter. It's a little muscle, group of muscles actually, that keeps the esophagus essentially a one-way street. And there's this thing called peristalsis that, uh, that uh, pushes things down. So like when you swallow your food after you chew it up, it goes in the esophagus and you can feel it kind of go boom right into the stomach, right? And that's how everything's supposed to work. But when things, when there's no food in the stomach, when the mouth hasn't been triggered with food that starts the stomach acid, the proton pumps going, sh 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 shooting some acid out there, then we have a low acid environment and those muscles relax. Well, what if we have very little stomach acid in the first place and we start eating and the acid's not being produced and those muscles are relaxed a little bit because the acid's too low but there's still acid in there. Well, the acid then can escape up into the esophagus and over time it can actually burn those muscles and create you know, hiatal hernia issues and things like that. And create a lot of issues in the esophagus or at the sphincter level that mean when you lay down at night, all of a sudden the acid flows right up, sometimes right after you eat a meal and so on and so forth. But what if it's not because you didn't have enough acid in the first place? Then if, are we going to fix the problem by taking away more acid? Well, no. We're going to fix the symptom. And that's what medicine is in this country, by and large. It's medical whack-a-mole, right? You ever go to Lagoon if you're here in Utah? They have that great game, whack-a-mole. There's this big mallet. It's got a you know big uh, foamy head on it, right? And... You smack down these moles and you smack one down, another one pops up over there and you smack that one down, another one pops up over there and you smack that one down. That's modern medicine right now. We have a symptom, we smack it down. Another symptom pops up, sometimes because of the medicine we were smacking the first one down with, and we smack that one down too and we just keep going after it because I'll tell you, the more drugs we can get on, well, 
That's good for some people, right? So let's see what we ought to maybe consider. Because I actually have a couple theories here. And I could be wrong on these theories. Some of this that I'm sharing with you, in fact, everything I've shared with you up to this point has been pretty scientifically backed. But there is a theory I have that I think is going to get proven out at some point. And it's an interesting one. You remember the Romaine scare of 2018? That wasn't that long ago, right? Like people that worked at salad bars, those people, they uh, couldn't get romaine lettuce, couldn't make a Caesar salad. In fact, I went to a, a restaurant during the romaine scare of 2018, and I asked for a Caesar salad, and they said, we can't make a Caesar salad. I mean, we can. We'll put some spring mix in there. Can't get your romaine. I'm sorry. And I thought, oh, gosh, it's terrible. Well, for people who like romaine lettuce, it was a real drag. And I, I like romaine lettuce, but I also like not being food poisoned. That's good too, right? Well, it's really interesting. Why are all of a sudden, why are peanuts making everybody sick? I'm not talking about allergies, but you know, like the, 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 the bacteria that we're finding on peanuts and romaine lettuce and all these other things. We keep hearing about this over and over again. And it's with healthy, natural foods, right? Um, and so then people think, well, geez, I better start eating everything out of a box. I don't want E. coli, for Pete's sake. Is it possible that the rampant use of acid blockers, both H2 and PPI and also over-the-counter Tums and Rolaids and things like that, is it just possible, maybe, that the taking of all these acid blocking things might be weakening this amazing immune system that that stomach acid is a part of. Have you ever heard of the stomach referred to as the gastric barrier? It is known as the gastric barrier. Why is that? Because it is a barrier against bad guys getting into the system. The truth of the matter is we come into contact with all kinds of things that could poison us on a regular basis, you know, on some level or another. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine who probably was food poisoned. It's hard to say, but just puking her guts out for a day and a half. And uh, I don't know if she got romaine lettuce necessarily <laughs> or what it was, but what a miserable, miserable thing. If you've ever been food poisoned, it's a fate worse than death almost, right? It's awful. Well, some people die from it. And my question is, if your stomach acid is so low because you're defeating it on a regular basis with these PPIs, is it possible that the people getting sick from this, you know, tainted romaine lettuce, that it's maybe a little less about the tainted lettuce and a little more about how deficient our immune systems are and able to actually fight this off? Because that gastric barrier, though that high stomach acid is supposed to kill that kind of stuff. E. coli and listeria and all these kind of things, if things are high enough. But we're also low in stomach acid now. Well, I shouldn't say all of us, but the older we get, we get lower in it. And then if we're defeating it with acid blockers, we're more likely to get sick. We do know that C. diff, which is nasty stuff, is uh, a direct uh, consequence uh, in some cases of a low stomach acid caused by PPIs. You have a much, much higher risk of C. diff. So why not a higher risk of E. coli infection or something like that? Yeah, it's, like I say, it's a theory, but I think there might be something to this. So regardless of all that, how logical is it to just shut down such a big part of both the digestive system and also a big part 
of the uh, defense system that we have set up in the stomach rather than just working with how the body is supposed to work in the first place. So how does all this tie in with my Vital 5? How does this tie in with digestive enzymes? Well, it's actually pretty simple. As we age, we get less and less natural stomach acid production. In fact, it's estimated that the vast majority of people over 50 are producing too little stomach acid. And if you've got acid reflux, you probably fit into that camp. Your doctor can actually help you diagnose if you have too low stomach acid, if you ask. But in most cases, if you have reflux, they just say, get on a PPI. And then most of them, some to their credit are starting to listen and not keep people on them forever. I've had a few doctors say, hey, you really need to get off of this now to uh, customers of mine at Vitality, which is great, but it's not happening nearly enough. And I'll put you on these PPIs and blah, blah, blah. But remember I said at the end of that WebMD article, you know, prop up your bed, don't smoke, lose some weight. How about let's support the digestive system? Maybe, right? Maybe if we actually support the digestive system, instead of shutting it down, we just might digest our food better. We might get less gas, less bloating, less stomach distension. I tell people all the time, I talk about poop for a living. It's part of what I do. We might get less diarrhea. We might get less constipation. We might get less stinky gas. You know, the really wretched kind that's nobody wants to talk about, that's happening in large part because our digestive system just ain't doing what it's supposed to do. So how do we get it doing that? Well, I've talked many times on Vitality Radio about different things you can do for the stomach acid deficiency, but that's not what today is about. Today, I'm going to focus specifically on digestive enzymes, which is one of the things I did to take care of my acid reflux. And the one thing that I do pretty much every single day, whether I'm traveling, I'm in town, it's a big deal. It matters. So, what do digestive enzymes do? Well, first off, you need to know where they come from. We have enzymes, natural enzymes, in raw food. So, when we eat raw food, we get enzymes that help you to break down the food that you're eating. That's awesome. Except most of us don't eat nearly enough raw food. And most food is coming now packaged and or cooked or both. And so, that's one issue there. But when we start to eat our salivary glands, which produce like a quart of saliva per day, is that amazing? That's a lot, I think. But our salivary glands are producing this stuff and enzymes kick in there and they start to break down our food. So when mom said, chew your food, chew your food, it's a big deal because you chew it up, the enzymes are breaking all that stuff down. That's great. You swallow it down in the stomach and the stomach can produce a few enzymes that'll help to break it down some more along with stomach acid, which we just talked about. And then when the stomach dumps it into the duodenum, then we have the pancreas, pancreatic enzymes. And pancreatic enzymes get kicked in there. And that's awesome because that helps to finish the job. Now, the intestinal tract has other areas where enzymes will be secreted. It's really kind of amazing how this whole system works. And the body just keeps trying to break that stuff down. Well, what do enzymes do? Enzymes are... Um, they're the tools the body uses. They're actually complex proteins, actually, that go in and digest things. They actually break it down. Do you remember that, uh, if you're old like me, 
Um, you might remember that protein gets out protein stains and they'd show blood stains and grass stains and stuff like that. Uh, it was a Tide or some stupid laundry detergent, but they were adding enzymes to the laundry detergent to break down that stuff, which makes perfect sense. Enzymes are awesome for that too, but in the stomach, they break it down. They help you get the big things down to little things so we can then absorb the nutrition from the little things. And because they're breaking things down really efficiently, they're eliminating the need uh, or the, the creation of gas and bloating and things like that. So if you experience reflux, if you experience gas or bloating after meals, if you're irregular one way or the other, either with diarrhea or constipation or both, if you have this stomach distension where you feel you know, bloated and kind of extra fat after a meal, tight around the midsection, uh, any of those things, if you feel really tired after you eat, like, oh man, that lunch was delicious, now all I need is a nap, any of those symptoms, just about guaranteed you would benefit from digestive enzymes. And the truth of the matter is, I think most of us deal with some of those symptoms on a, on a pretty regular basis. Not all, but a lot of people. So enzymes play a big role in all that stuff. Um, how do we become deficient? Well, it's really interesting. Deficiency happens for a variety of reasons. And nobody knows exactly what's going on, but we know that age is a factor. The older we get, the more deficient we become. We know that the more crud we eat, stuff that doesn't contain enzymes, stuff that requires a higher level of enzymes to break it down, the more enzymes we use. We also know that enzymes play huge roles in a variety of things in the body that have nothing to do with digestion. And the body has to kind of throttle back production if there's higher needs in other areas rather than giving the priority to digesting food. But one of the biggest things that I think is different today and one of the biggest reasons why I think I got reflux in the first place back when I was 26 years old is because of stress. You know, we have this parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And when we're under stress, we have that fight or flight mode thing going on. And when we're not stressed and we're relaxed, then it's the rest and digest. Well, ideally, rest and digest should be happening during meals. We sit down, we relax, we eat, and then we get back to what we're doing. But life isn't quite like that anymore, right? Because whenever I drive by the McDonald's that's two blocks away from my shop, there's like 19 cars in the drive through right? I drive by the, the In-N-Out burger, there's like 9,000 cars. When I drive past the Chick-fil-A, there's 900,000 cars, right? I mean, these drive throughs are full all the time. Well, what is drive through food? Besides the fact that maybe it's a little junky. Okay, maybe it's a lot junky, but scratch that off the... What is drive-through food? Drive-through food is the food that you drive through. You order the food. It's hot and it's ready for you. And it smells really good when it gets in your car. And you open it up and you start eating it when you're driving down the street. And you're focused on everything except for what you're eating. You're focused on the traffic in front of you. You're focused on the fact you got to get back to work. Or it's almost time to get the kids from school. Or whatever's going on. And we're far from rest and digest. And we're full on fight or flight. Well, when we're in fight or flight mode, the body doesn't secrete a bunch of enzymes to help us break down our food. The digestive system requires too much energy at that point. And our brain is going like crazy, which is the other center of energy that, uh, you know, the two big centers of energy um, usage, the two big 
kind of battery drains in our body are in the brain and the stomach. So when we have this, all this stuff going on in our brain, we're trying to get to the next thing, our stomach is like, okay, you're giving me food, but man, I'm having a hard time breaking that stuff down because the body won't give me enzymes, it won't give me stomach acid. Oh boy, it's tough. And I'm tired because there's just nothing there and I'm not breaking it down. I'm not getting the nutrition from my meals and so on and so forth. So I'm telling you right now from a guy who is very busy pretty much all the time, probably doesn't take quite as much time off as he should, has his plate very full and doesn't say no very often. If you're that person like I happen to be, then rest and digest is happening mostly when we're sleeping. There ain't much to digest at that point. During mealtime, we're usually pretty busy. Yesterday, my first meal was a protein bar. Yeah, exciting, right? And it was while I was placing in order for some products. And while I was placing that order, I got another call from another company that wanted to take an order. And meantime, I'm chewing down this protein bar. And my energy was focused very much on everything but chewing down this protein bar. And so rest and digest wasn't happening. Fight or flight was happening. It's a big deal, I believe. So stress is a factor. Age is a factor. A lot of things are factors, but the symptoms are clear. The same things I already told you, gassiness and bloating after meals, sluggishness after meals, whether you feel it in your stomach like, oh my gosh, I think I just ate a brick. You get bloated, distended, gas, especially if it's very bad smelling gas, constipation, diarrhea, reflux, all those things. Digestive enzymes to the rescue because what they do is they take a whole load off of the digestive system. They help break all this stuff down in lieu of our body's ability to produce the amount of enzymes that it needs. We can replace them. Now, that's awesome because unlike a pharmaceutical solution, we're not circumventing the way the body works. We're working within with harmony with how the body works. In fact, you can even do the same thing if you end up finding that you have not enough acid in your stomach. There are ways to solve that problem as well with nature and without breaking anything or surgically removing anything or whatever. But guess what is interesting? Recently, and I mean recently, like a few weeks ago, for the first time, I saw a commercial for a drug called Creon, which I, I don't know. I, I saw it and I thought, what? What are they talking about? Well, it was for pancreatic insufficiency. Have you ever heard of that? Has your doctor diagnosed you with that? I'd never, maybe I should be embarrassed to say this because I'm kind of in the know on this stuff for the most part, but I'd never heard of that diagnosis before. Now, pancreatic insufficiency means your pancreas isn't producing enough enzymes. Everything I just talked about, I've certainly known it's a thing. It's a thing for me, 100%. And I think it's a thing for a lot of people. When you're getting diagnosed with it, you're a little further down that road because most docs, GI specialists and things like that, you got acid reflux, you got 
indigestion, gassiness, bloating, IBS, any of that kind of stuff, they're going to say, well, you know, naturally maybe a probiotic, but you need to change your diet a little bit. Uh, don't eat so late in the evening. Take your Prilosec or whatever. And they're not talking about enzymes. Well, guess what? Now we have pharmaceutical enzymes. Yeah. Creon is very similar. And it took me a long time because they don't like to tell you what's in their stuff. They really don't. I spent an hour preparing this show just trying to find out what was in Creon. Well, what's in Creon? Pancreatin from a pig. It's a pancreas extract from a pig. That might sound gross or bad or whatever, but that's actually kind of awesome for the most part. If you're vegan, it's not so awesome. I get that. But aside from people who are vegans, it's an amazing thing because pig pancreas and human pancreas are pretty much the same thing. A lot of humans are pigs anyway, right? <laughs> aside from that. But when we have the pancreas or the pancreatin, we have the enzymes. We have the amylase to break down starches and protease to break down protein, lipase to break down fat. These are the enzymes that we're deficient in. These are the things I take with every meal to help things out. So why do we need a pharmaceutical? I don't know. It's an interesting thing because Creon has almost exactly the same potency per pill as something that a company called Now Foods makes uh, called Super Enzymes. But Super Enzymes has a bunch more stuff in it beyond that, but it specifically has that ingredient, the, the pig uh, pancreatin, and it's $19.99 for, what, 90 capsules. Well, Creon's an interesting product, $275 for 90 capsules. It's pharmaceutical, and pharmaceuticals are expensive, especially name brand pharmaceuticals, because uh, they can be. Because certain people in Congress, certain presidents in the White House, are you know not so worried about drug prices as much as you might think they might be. Some talk about it. Some are worried about it. Some want to change it. But drug prices continue to go up in this country. They're exorbitant. And here's a perfect example, because when you think about something like, I don't know, Prilosec, there is not a natural version of that. But Creon is just pig pancreatin and super enzymes, which I'm currently holding a bottle in my hands. Hear that? Is also that. And it's $19.99. And it's almost exactly the same potency. Versus $275. Well, interestingly enough, the other drug, Zinpep, that sounds good, right? $1,700 for about a month's supply. $1,700. Now, you're probably not going to pay that. You probably have insurance. You probably have a copay. Maybe you get to the point of your uh, deductible being, you know, all caught up. So you have to worry about it. That's awesome. Except, you're paying for it in your premium, and so am I, and so is the government now with Obamacare, right? The whole thing's just a mess. It's a racket. They're in it for the money. That's why they want to produce these drugs. It has nothing to do with your health. It just doesn't. Because if it did, then what would happen is drug companies would say, well, we'll just put this over-the-counter product, digestive enzymes out here. We'll charge 20 bucks for it like they do over at the health food store. And uh, we'll be honest about it. Instead of acting like it's some groundbreaking drug that's going to be 
you know, fix your pancreatic insufficiency. Well, guess what? If you've got pancreatic insufficiency, add digestive enzymes the same way as the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors are going to tell you, but don't do it with a prescription drug that isn't a drug. It's ridiculous. It makes absolutely no sense. And that's rant number two for you. All right. So how do you use digestive enzymes? Use digestive enzymes every time you eat. Now, certain meals, you know, I'm going to munch down on an apple or celery or something like that, you know, for lunch, some live living food that has enzymes in it. You know, probably don't need to use it. It won't hurt to use enzymes with that meal, but it's probably not necessary. Um, aside from that, though, you're going to benefit from enzymes at pretty much every meal. And that's probably the single biggest thing that clients of mine at Vitality Nutrition tell me they struggle with is that they don't want to have to take something with every meal. I get it. Me either. I mean, I happen to sell pills for a living. I should be pretty good at taking them, but you know what? I have a pill. I have a bottle of digestive enzymes on my desk at work. I've got a bottle in my car and I've got a bottle at home because I forget if I don't have them right there. I don't remember to throw a couple in my pocket before I go out to eat or whatever. So you just have to kind of get in the habit of it and that's okay because I've got uh, a dear friend of mine who I met and uh, became friends with before she ever became a client at Vitality. But it wasn't too long into our relationship uh, that she was complaining about her stomach just hurting all the time. And, you know, that's kind of the thing with me because people find out what I do and eventually I find out about their health. It's just what it is. I'm a little inquisitive too, so that doesn't help. But, uh, you know, I asked her uh, before I did the show, I said, will you just tell me, you know, send kind of your experience because while I will say hers is a little more um, unusual than what I normally hear, it's very common for people to say similar things to this. She said, you know, when I first met Jared, I couldn't eat anything without getting sick to my stomach. And she means anything, like literally she couldn't eat anything without getting sick to her stomach. She was constantly in pain. Uh, she would have to run to the bathroom sometimes. She was dealing with chronic constipation. She had an upset stomach all the time. Uh, she said, I pretty much stopped eating because my stomach would get so sick and it would happen immediately after eating anything. Jared started me on a product called Back on Tract, which I took with every meal and almost immediately I noticed a difference. I could eat and not end up running to the bathroom sick to my stomach. Eventually, I could eat pretty much anything I wanted as long as I had Back on Tract with me. Now I use it as needed with meals and foods that might upset my stomach. Now I get to eat all of the foods I love, but couldn't eat before without getting sick. And thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate that. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, but this is the thing that's really interesting. I've heard stuff similar to that with a variety of different enzyme products that we've sold over the years at Vitality. But Back on Track is the one that is really, really unique. And I designed Back on Track. So it is my formula. Full disclosure, okay? It is the I, I cannot pick a favorite child. I can't do it. I won't do it. Even if I had one, I wouldn't tell you on the radio. That would be very bad. But I don't have a favorite child. They're all amazing. But I have a favorite product. And Back on Track is my favorite product. Of any product that I've ever tried and of any product that I've ever developed. And the reason is because of the stuff that people tell me like that. It's 
awesome. Now, I developed it based on my experience with a combination of probiotics, digestive enzymes, and herbs to solve my personal acid reflux issue. Back on track was my all-in-one solution for that. And it is not always the all-in-one solution for everybody with reflux. I'm going to tell you that. But if you've got indigestion, if you've got gassiness and bloating, if you've got any of those things that I talked about before, acid reflux, cramping, distension of the stomach, uh, diarrhea, constipation, any of those things, back on track is, is worth a try. It's a complete digestive enzyme blend. It has herbs that are anti-inflammatory to the stomach and it has probiotics, a very, very unique spore-forming probiotic that I'm totally in love with that also really helps to boost up your immune system. It's a very, very unique formula and it works and I take it every day myself. But digestive enzymes are they're just so awesome. And, and I want to issue a challenge to you. If you have any of these issues with your, with your gut and you feel it when you eat and it's not good, healthy food or junk food, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. Take digestive enzymes every meal for a week and it can change your life. And then I want you to tell me, tell me what happened. And there are a variety of great formulas on the market. You don't have to get back on track. It is my favorite because it also covers the back, uh, the uh, probiotic version uh, thing. In fact, if you'll take back on track, get this. It's a, the first bottle is a 10-day supply if you take it as recommended. Two per meal. Yeah, six a day. I know it sounds like a lot. But just for the first 10 days. And then it's one per meal most of the time after that unless you're really picking out. It's 100% guaranteed. If you try it, you empty that bottle, and in 10 days you don't feel substantially better with your digestion, you get your money back. It doesn't happen very often because it really, really works. It changes people's lives because if you can eat without feeling like crap, if you can digest and assimilate the nutrition from your food, you will feel better in a lot of ways. Not just the gassiness and bloating, but energy is better. Sleep is better. Prevention of other illnesses because you're actually absorbing your food is better. So the flip side of what a PPI does, a proton pump inhibitor, Prilosec, Nexium, and so on, those ones eventually create all kinds of health issues while only solving a symptom and never fixing a problem. Digestive enzymes and probiotics... It's a whole different animal because these work within the body to help the body do what it's supposed to do anyway, which in this case is break down and absorb the nutrition from your food without incident. Okay, that's it. I've got to go. In fact, I've run just a little bit over. I appreciate the time that you spend with me listening to Vitality Radio. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Thank you for listening to me. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. 
Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.